Welcome to Bite Size Seminary. This is a podcast where we discuss issues in biblical studies, theology, ministry engagement, and following Jesus. With new episodes every other week, we'll dive into the biblical text, discuss resources, book reviews, and interviews. I'm J.C. Schroeder. I'm an instructor at the Ezekiel Project School of Evangelism and a THM student at Grand Rapids Theological Seminary. I hope that we can encourage each other to live and read Scripture more faithfully. If you want to be challenged by new ideas and encouraged by old ones, then keep listening. Today, we're going to talk about the Psalms for the poetically challenged. We're going to look at how to gain a sensitivity to three features of the Psalms to help us understand their message. Let's dive in. The Psalms for the Poetically Challenged. I would definitely self-identify as poetically challenged. But I like this quote from Tremper Longman III. He says this, quote, The Psalter is one of the most familiar and foreign books in the Bible. You know, it, and I think that's really true. We know the Psalms. We love their emotion. We love their expression. We have many of these Psalms memorized even. But many times, we don't know what to do with them. They have odd phrases. They seem to say the same thing over and over again, and we can be a little befuddled with them. What we're going to do today, we're going to look at three features to help us close that gap just a bit, to help us be less poetically challenged. The three features are the types of psalms, parallelism, and figures of speech. So these three features, if we can be a little bit more in tune with how they work and when they are present or not present in a psalm, can do a whole lot in opening up a psalm for us as we read. Now, I want to begin by looking at the different types of psalms. And perhaps we we're not aware that there are different types of psalms. Uh, you know, maybe as we read them, we see that there are some differences, but we don't know how to handle those differences or even what those differences are. And so there are different ways of categorizing the psalms, and scholars have proposed a variety of different categorical methods. But the way that I think is most helpful is how they are grouped or categorized based upon their form, on how they are structured. And there are three different types of psalms when you group them based on their form or their basic structure. There can be other categories that we could look at, but those are mostly based on content. So you have things like royal psalms, you have the psalms of ascent, you have wisdom psalms even, but those are more so on what's inside of them, their content. Now, the types of psalms that we'll look at are based on their form. So you have three different types. You have praise psalms. Thanksgiving Psalms, and Lament Psalms. Now, each of these have their own basic structure. So a praise psalm, let's look at that one first. So praise psalms are for, you guessed it, praising God. You're thinking about who he is and giving him the glory and honor that he has deserved, to give him the praise that he is deserving and thinking about the reason why we would praise him. So this gets broken down into two main elements, and sometimes a third element within a, a praise psalm. There's an opening call to praise where we, you know, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. And then you'd have the, 
the majority of the psalm would be the section called the cause for praise. You're focusing on why would we praise the Lord? Why would I you know, exert all this effort to praise him? And that's the most important part of the psalm. And then some praise psalms will also exhibit a return call to praise at the end. It's not always there, but sometimes. So that's a praise psalm. The second type of psalm is a thanksgiving psalm. And this is similar to a praise psalm. The praise psalm begins with this call to praise. So when you're reading a psalm and it begins with, I praise the Lord, you know you got a praise psalm. And a thanksgiving psalm is similar. You know, it's it's maybe two sides of the same coin, if you will. But what a thanksgiving psalm and how it differs from a praise psalm is that a praise psalm is expressing just a, a a love for the Lord and praise to him. Whereas a thanksgiving, you're, you're thanking the Lord. It's, res, it's a response to an answered prayer. So maybe you were going through suffering, you were lamenting before, but now you are thanking the Lord for who he is and what he has done for you. So it, a thanksgiving psalm, the way I think about it, a thanksgiving psalm is a bit more concrete or specific to a specific situation. Whereas a praise psalm is thinking about the Lord and his general character, or his character, it could be a, his specific character, but his character uh, as opposed to thanksgiving of what the Lord has done for us. There's four main elements that make up a thanksgiving psalm, and as you're reading a psalm and you're wondering, is this a thanksgiving, you're looking, of, you're looking for a declaration of intent to praise. So you're thinking of, like, is the psalmist intending to praise, and does he give the reasons why, like, he was in trouble. And that, so that's the second part. Like there's some sort of distress and then the psalm, psalmist articulates how the Lord delivered him from that. So that's a little bit different than the call and cause to praise from a praise psalm. But here we're talking about, I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to thank the Lord. And I'm going to give the reasons why I was in such deep distress and how the Lord brought me out of that. And then there would also be like a vow of praise. I'm going to continue to praise the Lord, continue to thank the Lord. And then there's also a descriptive element of this reason why we should praise, thank the Lord as well. So that's a Thanksgiving psalm. Then our third type of psalm is a lament psalm. And what I find so interesting about lament psalms is that they make up the majority of psalms in in the book of Psalms, in the Psalter. There's over 60 lament psalms. And what I love about lament psalms is that they provide the vocabulary while we are suffering. And I'm just so thankful that the Lord has led, through his spirit, has led the authors to, to give us these lament psalms, that we have just the, the joy and the ability to express to the Lord the proper way of how we are feeling with our suffering. And so these lament psalms are powerful, powerful ways of telling the Lord how we feel and also reorienting our hearts and our minds back to the Lord in the midst of our suffering. And if I can just give a personal anecdote here in, you know, the last couple of years have been pretty, pretty crazy, haven't they? In, in our world and in the United States and just the world in general with COVID and just all these crazy things going on. And I, I just felt very overwhelmed. I'm sure many of us did feel just so overwhelmed with um, what was going on with our world. And I felt like I didn't have the vocabulary to express how I was feeling and how I was feeling overwhelmed. And that turned me to thinking about these lament psalms because they give us that vocabulary. And so we, uh, I think many times, 
We don't know. We don't have this familiarity with lament. We know about praise psalms. We know about thanksgiving psalms. But what do we do when we actually suffer? And how do we communicate with the Lord? The lament psalms teach us how to express that to the Lord. So there's five main things that a lament psalm has. It begins with a cry for help. And then it moves to a statement of distress, of just describing of why I'm in such a a dire strait. And then it expresses, and this is the powerful thing about the Lament Psalms, is that it's not only expressing the sorrow, only expressing the suffering. And it is that, and that is extremely cathartic, but it is also just turning it to the Lord. But it is also there's also this trust in the Lord, this trust in, in Yahweh for what he has done and what he is able to do in the future. And then there's also a prayer for deliverance, and then it follows and with a vow of praise. That's how the vast majority of lament psalms will conclude, will conclude with this vow of praise to the Lord. And with these psalms, the Lord has given these three different types of psalms so that we may know how to communicate to him. And we need a familiarity with each one of them. And just our present circumstances in the last couple of years has reminded us our need for lament, but also the need for thanksgiving and praise, that the Lord is still the Lord, that we can trust in him and that we can thank him for what he is giving us, uh, even in the midst of uh, suffering and in hardship. So those are the different types of psalms. And that's our first feature. Our second feature that I want to talk about that will help us to look at the psalms a bit better is the use of parallelism in the psalms. And what I love about the Psalms is that they're not like a story where you can just breeze on through. Uh, if you're listening uh, to the Psalms on, uh, on an audio Bible and you set it to faster speed so you can get through more, it's kind of defeating the purpose of the Psalms. The Psalms are there to invite us to reflect and to slowly read or to slowly listen and to meditate on the images and the information that is being described and the emotive sort of way that the Psalms speak. And this is brought forward with the use of parallelism. Scholars suggest that the two essentials, and this is you know debated among scholars as seems like everything is debated among scholars, but I think this is uh, very helpful that the two main elements of Hebrew poetry is parallelism and terseness. Parallelism and terseness. Terseness just means that it's very that the language is very compressed, and it's not. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's short, but that we're using unique forms, compressed forms. We're dropping out words, and this will give a sense of heightening or give us a sense of an intense focus on uh, what is being described. So now let's actually talk about parallelism. All that to talk about parallelism now. Uh, And the use of parallelism is when we have two different lines. Sometimes it's three lines, and and occasionally you'll get four lines. But usually it's going to be two lines. And you have a first line, which will make a statement, and the second line will, in some way, advance the statement of the first. It will say the same thing and then extend it a bit more. So, for instance, you have, uh, I I love this uh, psalm, Psalm 61, a lament psalm, and how it begins, hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. So you have that first line, hear my cry, O God. And then that second line is, listen to my prayer. So here you have, it's saying very similar things, you know, it's, it's not giving us two different statements, it's giving us 
similar statements. That first line sets us up, hear my cry, O God. And then that second line advances what is said of the crying, that we're not just crying to God. This call to the Lord to, to hear the fact that I'm crying, but he advances it to listen now, same as hear, but not just to the act of me crying, but the act of me praying to the Lord. So the idea of parallelism is two lines, and the first, uh, the second line advances that first line. And then there, there can be exceptions to these, but that's this advancement in the second line is the rule of thumb. So as we are looking at the Psalms, and as we are looking at these parallels, uh, these lines that come out, we want to look at in what way does the second line advance the first? In what way is there a difference? In what way is there a similarity? And in what way does it advance that first line? You have different types of parallelism. You have synonymous parallelism, where you're saying the same thing, but you're advancing, as we've talked about. But then you also have like antithetical parallelism, where you're saying the same thing, but in an opposite way and still advancing that statement. So very familiar passage to many is Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's line one. Line two, and do not lean on your own understanding. So here we have the same thing being articulated of trusting the Lord, but the first statement, the first line is a positive, and the second statement, the second line is a negative. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, that's the positive, and the antithesis to that is don't lean on your own understanding. And as you can see that that is an advancement as well, that when we trust in the Lord with all of your heart, that means you're not trusting in yourself, right? You're not leaning on your own understanding. So you can see that idea of advancement even with this antithetical parallelism as well. So as you, as we are reading the Psalms, be very sensitive to that parallelism. And that's the, the joy that we have as, as we look at our English Bibles or whatever language you may be looking at. And many Bibles have the Psalms in a poetic verse or a poetic structure in the way that it's laid out. And that's very helpful. And so you want to lean into that as we are reading, as we are interpreting those Psalms, see where line one is, see where line two is, and in what way is it advancing the first line. So our first two features were the types of Psalms and the use of parallelism. Now, our third and final feature is the use of figures of speech. Figures of speech are present in all forms of communication, but you do find it in a much higher concentration in the Psalms and in poetry. So when we are seeking to read the Psalms well, we need to be sensitive to the use of lots and lots of figures of speech. And what I love about figures of speech is that they give vividness. If you didn't use figures of speech or you didn't use them very often, your communication can be quite bland. So what figures of speech do is that they spice up what you're saying or what you're writing. And they are also very helpful because they help us to describe an infinite God. Like how are we supposed to describe an infinite God that is so unlike us in so many different ways? He's like us in many ways, or we are like him in many ways, but we, we are so unlike him as humans. How do we describe him? And so thus we look at the concrete things around us or the psalmist led by the Holy Spirit looked around the things that were around them and thought, how can I use this to describe the Lord? 
And it's also a way to describe our own emotions. Like it's difficult to describe how, how we feel sometimes. So we use analogies and figures of speech to help us describe uh, the things that we, are the, that we feel, the joy that we feel or the sadness that we feel. Now, when we're thinking of figures of speech and the image and the images that they are evoking in a text, we want to be sensitive to their literary context. Do we have any clues about the sort of connection that is being described with this image, with this figure of speech, by the other words that surround this passage, that surround this figure of speech? Do we have previous figures of speeches? Figures of speech, I don't know, figures of speech that would describe, that would help reinforce what we're looking at with this figure of speech uh, in a previous line or several verses before? Do we have more concrete information that's given to us in previous or future information that can help us to look at uh, this particular verse or this particular line to help us what is the sort of connection that is being conveyed with this figure of speech? So that's the literary context. But we also need to be sensitive to the use of figures of speech in the historical cultural context. When we think of a refuge or we think of a strong tower against the enemy, I love this passage in Psalm 61.3, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. In my 21st century Western imagination, uh, I, I don't really see too many strong towers here in America. Uh, I don't really understand this idea of a refuge. Uh, it's not part of my day-to-day experience. So for me to understand what is being described with a strong tower against the enemy, I need to put myself into the feet, uh, into the sandals, if you will, of the people who were living at the time of when this psalm was written. And what would it have been like for them to, to experience the constant threat of people coming and invading them, coming and pillaging their villages, or coming in and taking their 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 livestock, all of that, or not having a, an ability to go to a secure place, a defense point. And so when we begin to insert ourselves into that, we begin to feel of like the importance of a strong tower. And then we can make that connection back to the Lord of the Lord acts for us as the strong tower, this place of safety, of protection from adversaries that come from without. Another feature that we want to be careful with and sensitive to is as we think of a figure of speech and an image that is evoked, that it doesn't need to be the same. The use of the figure of speech doesn't need to be the same throughout every occurrence of it. So for instance, you have Satan is described as a lion, and Christ is described as a lion. Now, obviously, they're not the lions in the same way. We're drawing different parts of that image, of that figure of speech, of that analogy. The same is true for sheep. When we think of uh, in Isaiah 53, we, all we like sheep, have gone astray, so we're described as sheep. And then a few lines later, you have the servant of the Lord, Christ, he is described as as a sheep before its shears is is silent, uh, so he opened not his mouth, right? And so it's not describing a, the, the same aspects of a sheep. So you want to be careful in thinking about what particular aspect of the image are we leaning into or what the psalmist or the author is leaning into. And so thinking through those figures of speech, thinking through the uses of those images can be very, very helpful. So just to give another quick little example, we already looked at Psalm 61.3, 
But I love verses three and four because they give such great descriptions and comparisons of God and how he acts towards us and who he is for us. And here in Psalm 61, a lament psalm is so comforting thinking of who the Lord is as we suffer. So you have the Lord described by the psalmist here in verse three, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings, Salah. So here you have just this wonderful fourfold comparison of the Lord between the things that the psalmist would have been familiar with. He would be he would have been familiar with a refuge, a place in, in the rocks perhaps to provide shade or rest, uh, a strong tower that would provide protection. Uh, you have uh, the idea of dwelling in the tent, this idea of intimacy, uh, both of a spiritual intimacy with the tabernacle or with just communal intimacy with others in a normal sort of tent. And then also you have this familial language in verse four, let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings, that protection that is given by a parental figure. And that's all the different ways that the Lord works for us. And so the psalmist plays with these images and he uses these different parallels between them to expand on how the Lord acts. If you notice in verses three and four, they kind of function together. You have two, two parallelisms that go on here, one in verse three and one in verse four with the four lines. And they increase in, into a more personal picture of who God is. And all of that fits together within this lament psalm to bring comfort to this psalmist and to us that as he is suffering and as we suffer, he reminds himself and he leans into the very nature of who God is and how he acts towards him and how he acts towards us. And so here, this is just where these different features of Psalms and being sensitive to them can help unlock a great passage like Psalm 61. I would invite you to take some time and meditate and think on Psalm 61. I hope this helps us to be more sensitive to the poetry of the Psalms so that we can hear the voice of God and have the vocabulary to speak to him. That's all I have for you today. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider following the podcast and or giving an honest review. Even share it with a friend. Check out my website, bitesizeseminary.com or connect with me on Twitter or Facebook. You can see all the links in the show notes below. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.